All right, welcome to the A Game Podcast. Me and my Morrissey hair. I don't know what's going on here today, but uh, are welcoming you on this Monday to the A Game Podcast. Thank you for listening. We have a great guest today on Joe Evangelisti. He is an absolute rock star. He's a decorated veteran. He had a letter of recommendation from the president. I mean, look at the bio for this episode. The guy's credentials are off the charts as far as what he's done with his military service, what he's done professionally, what he's done in his real estate business, what he's done with his coaching students. So all the show notes, all the show links, you can check him out, check out his podcast, check out his coaching program, check out his company and all the ways to invest with them on self-storage units. We just had Dana Cornell on. They are actually business partners. So those guys together are definitely going to be taking over uh, way more than they already have. So thank you guys for listening. Hope everybody had a great weekend. A uh, huge congrats to Marab Wallace really on his UFC win this weekend versus Marlon Marais, which was probably one of the most entertaining and exciting and uh, stressful for his friends and training partners uh, round. If you guys have not checked that out, it was an incredible fight. He had a huge win. Very, very happy to see Matt Sarah and Ray Longo together again in the corner. Um, really two of my favorite people. I can't say it enough. So very happy that those two were there. Very happy for the whole team, for all those guys. And uh, shout out to Brian Ortega too for being a stud. That guy, I, I uh, posted some pictures. I had shared the mat with him a little bit. It was a huge experience being able to train with him and roll with him a little bit. Thanks to Billy Grazie from Biohazard and Powerflow for hooking that up over there. Gracie Torrance and Alex Stewart, check him out. He's a uh, great instructor out there. If you want to take privates, he's been on the A-Game podcast a few times, posts a lot of really great content. So uh, again, just surrounded by really cool people that do awesome things. So I'm very proud of it. It was also my good buddy, Johnny Eubank's birthday a week or so ago. So definitely uh, when we have Joe Evangelisti on being a, a veteran, I always like to try and give shout. Always makes me think of Johnny Eubank's former United States Marine, Badass of Long Island, good guy. So we always think of him and miss him. Happy birthday. Hope he's eating ice cream somewhere. It's always one of his favorite things to do. So shout out to him. And uh, thanks everybody again for listening to this podcast. If you want to get involved in real estate, go to nakednick.com slash links. Find all the ways to connect with me. Please subscribe to the show. Please share the show. Please listen to the show and connect with me on social media. You can direct message me on any of the platforms that you see on there. And you can subscribe and listen to this podcast and pull on any of the links on that as well. You could also get our free ebook and you can check it out while you're there. If you need money for your real estate deals, check out Nationwide Business Capital Group and Marianne for all of your real estate funding needs, whether you're beginner, intermediate, advanced, you're looking for fix and flips, rentals, any type of creative financing, no money, a lot of money, credit, no credit, doesn't matter. She is one of the most competitive with rates and terms and creative with the way she can get deals done in this business. So reach out to her directly through nicknamecom slash links under affiliates. You can email her directly and tell her the A-Game podcast sent you over. And while you're over there, last but certainly not least, definitely get our free checklist on how to provide more value to your buyers. If you're a real estate agent or broker or you're a wholesaler, definitely check out this free checklist at www.nicknicknick.com slash bigger pocket. So thank you very much. Um, got a really big deal done yesterday uh, that was taking up a lot of time and stress. So it feels really good to kind of get that over the finish line. I'll talk a little bit more about that, but we're getting things going. I'm catching up with uh, people and I'm having some great conversations. So I appreciate everybody listening. Check it out. Joe Evangelisti. Great episode. Have a great week, everybody. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna. Digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. 
All right, my guest today on the A-Game podcast is Joe Evangelisti. He is the CEO of Legacy Developers, LLC, as well as one of the co-founders of Cornell Capital. He's a full-time real estate investor, investing nationwide in commercial assets, specializing in self-storage, and holds over 3,900 units in 10 states. He is also a master of wholesaling and flipping single-family properties and has done at times over 80 to 100 deals per year. He's an executive coach at Legacy Builder Coaching, an entrepreneur and a veteran of the U.S. Navy CBs, and also holds a letter of recommendation from the U.S. Navy and White House, as well as a letter of appreciation from President Clinton himself. He is the host of the Whole Scaling with Joe Evangelista podcast and the author of many books, including Whole Scaling, which I am reading right now, Legacy Wealth Blueprint, and The Secrets of Mastering the Flip Game. Thank you for coming on the A-Game podcast. I'm really excited to have you here, Joe Evangelista. Damn, that was a hell of a hell of an intro, brother. I don't even know where you got some of those facts. I, love it. <laughs> I try to do my research. I like to be prepared, you know? That's great. <laughs> it's quite the impressive backstory, man. First off, thank you for your service. I know you have a decorated military background. That that's awesome that you do that. And I'm always loving talking to athletes and military guys because I feel like the discipline from that always spills over into everything in life, but especially into real estate. The systems and the processes, I'm sure, have something to do with your military background. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my military background and uh, and failing a lot. That's where <laughs> a lot of it comes from. So, but I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, definitely. So, if there's so many different things I want to touch in here. One of them being, obviously, you you shifted from single family a lot into now the commercial, and, and more importantly, the self storage. I did just have Dana on, who's another really impressive guy. And when I, I didn't really know you guys were working together, and then I, I talked to him, and then realized that he was working with you, and I was like, man, that's a force to be reckoned with. So I'm really impressed to see where you guys are going to go. But for people who don't know, can you just give a quick like 30,000 foot snapshot of your background? Yeah, yeah. So I started out in construction my whole life. I've been in construction. My dad was a general contractor. And, uh, you know, I just I just learned, you know, how to swing, swing a hammer, push a broom, you know, hang drywall, tape it and do do carpentry and all that kind of stuff at a young age. And um, always just had that in my blood, man. I just love, I love taking something from nothing and creating something out of it, right? So just watched houses get built when I was a kid, watched, you know, kitchens and baths go in and just, so I just enjoyed the process. And, um, you know, right out of high school, got into the U.S. Navy Seabees, like, like you said earlier, and um, they're the construction battalions of the Navy. Most people don't even know they exist. Like it's a, you know, it's a very, very small group um, of, uh, you know, construction, they're builders. And so, um, we actually go everywhere by plane. We go all over the all over the world, and um, we we go out and build things. Uh, you know everything from you know uh, runways to to uh, you know commercial buildings to um, for deploying operating bases and and all that kind of cool stuff. So um, just always always have been in construction. And and when I you know first got out of the military, I knew that uh, you know I had this calling for real estate. Like I knew that I wanted to build wealth. I knew I wanted to build. Um, be an entrepreneur, build my own business. And so uh, almost immediately uh, jumped right into, you know, buying properties, flipping properties, trying to figure out the game. And um, I got caught up actually, Nick, I got caught up in, in, in my, in, I call it the lucky time I got, I got involved because I got into 2007. Right. And so I thought I was going to kill it. And then of course my third flip everything started to collapse and started softening and just, you know, the, the prices started coming down and, uh, you know, we had to make a pivot. We had to figure out how to, how to sustain, how to stay in the business. And, you know, that's really when, for me, I, I said, you know, earlier, like, you know, I'm a product of all of my failures and mistakes and changes and course corrections and trying to figure it all out because really from day one as an entrepreneur, um, you know, I realized so quickly that like, man, it's not about doing what you think you're going to do. It's about trying to stay um, evolving constantly in order to stay on track 
um, just going going forward. Man, I, there's so many things in there that are are very relevant to me, like today that I think about. And one of the one of the things you mentioned was the course correction, and I feel like that's something where I, I keep trying to nail down, like what do I want to do? Because you know I'm I'm, I'm getting on all these calls and I'm all these different groups, and every day it's kind of like, well, the way you figure out what you want is by figuring out what you don't want. But I think that there's like almost a a FOMO of like, well, if I pick only these types of houses or these types of assets, what if I'm missing out on X, Y, and Z? And then I was just reading The Road Less Stupid, and it focuses a lot more on what you just said, which was course correction. And I feel like that part, maybe I just wasn't hearing it, but I haven't heard it come up enough about how people are like, no, 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 part of like the persistence and the tenacity and the discipline is correcting that course as you go. Like, you know what? You picked multifamily, you want to do self-storage or you pick, you know, houses over 19 and different things work for different people. But talk a yeah, little yeah. bit about, because I think that is a huge fear of people get indecision because they're afraid of making the wrong decision. And what I found is most people that are successful make tons of bad decisions before they get the right one. And indecision gets you nowhere. It's, it's worse. So in the case where the market crashed from underneath you, which is a huge fear of people right now with things being so high, how did you correct your course when you started seeing you were making mistakes? to be able to, to really not take such a loss on those properties and adjust to make them profitable, at least sustainable. Yeah, well, again, I didn't know what I, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I just kept, I kept shifting, I kept trying different things. And so the original three houses that we flipped, first of all, I did them by hand, I did them by myself, <laughs> me and my partner, nights and weekends, like, you know, I would never do that again. I got three deals in before I realized I was out of money. I put 20% down, I bought them with my savings account, I had nothing left. And, you know, I thought I was going to like hit a home run and make a bunch of cash. Um, you know, and when we couldn't sell them, you know, I didn't want to be a landlord. Like I, I, I wanted to flip houses and make cash, man. You know, and so like what I had to pivot on is I had to go get tenants, put them in, put them in place, go back to my bank, ask them to refinance. Like, and when I just got done telling them, I'm going to, you know, I need a construction loan to flip a house. And they're like, well, you know, we weren't talking about rental property. We would, you know, so I had to stabilize the asset. So, you know, some of it was luck. Some of it was understanding that even though, um, uh, you know, I knew the deal I was going into. I had multiple exit strategies. I understood that the property could cash flow. I understood it was in a good rental market. I understood that, you know, it made sense as a rental property. I just never wanted to be a landlord, right? So, you know, the course correction was now I have to become a landlord, right? Now I have to, you know, uh, sustain the the downturn for a couple months because from September of 08 until like probably you know, December of 09, right? You couldn't flip a house. There was, you couldn't buy a house. Like they, they, the, the, the market was crashing so bad, there was nothing to buy. So we didn't flip anything for a while. You know, I had to go out and uh, get my broker's license and start selling property. I had to uh, start bartending. You know, I started, uh, you know, all, all kinds of different things to sustain myself until we got back on our feet. And then for the next three or four years, uh, you know, I, I, I had a broker's price opinion business, you know, of course, correct, you know, I pivot, you know, now all of a sudden I'm doing BPOs for banks because they're losing properties left and right. And, you know, I became a short sale expert. I helped a ton of sellers out of their own foreclosure because they were experiencing, um, you know, a really tough market. And, you know, um, the uh, the arms, right? You remember the adjustable rate mortgages sure, sure. that they don't do anymore? Well, they were they were collapsing on everybody, right? Left and right. People were having these adjustables that were going from three and a half percent to nine and a half percent in three months, right? And, you know, they couldn't pay their mortgages anymore. So becoming a short sale expert was a great thing to do because now all of a sudden I could actually help people out of their houses, but I could also buy the property, right? So now all of a sudden, you know, fast forward a few years, now I'm, now I'm actually taking properties down. I'm creating opportunity as a, as a flipper again. I'm actually rehabbing houses, putting them back on the market. We did some wholesale at that point. Um, and so now, I, you know, I had at that point a lot of different things going, but actually had too many things going, right? So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Nick, but like 
I was chasing, right? I was like, I, I had almost had like a panic attack at one point, probably five <laughs> or six years into my career because I had, you know, I had a new house. I had two young girls. I had, a, you know, I, I was practically a newlywed. I had, you know, two, two dogs at home and I had bills to pay. And, you know, I was working a hundred hours a week, right? I was just as many, as much as I could do to do deals and do contracts and put things together and make it all work. I was chasing, I was chasing, I was chasing. But what I wasn't doing was I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't paying attention to my health, right? I was eating shit. I was coming home late. I was missing my kids' soccer games, right? I was calling my wife and telling her, I'm gonna, it's going to be another late one. I'm going to burn the midnight oil, right? And making all these excuses uh, for why I had to work 100 hours a week to make it happen. And when I almost had that burnout, that's when I, that's when I had this like, you know, this, this like come to Jesus moment where I was like, man, I got to do something different in my life. This isn't working for me. Like I'm making money, but I don't, I don't feel like I ever have money. Right, I'm filing my tax returns and I'm like, there's no way I made that kind of money this year. I don't know where the hell it's all at, right? You come in the door on Friday, go back out the door on Monday, you know? So it was like, I got to do something different. I got to adjust. And so that's when I made my next major pivot. When I realized I need to get some help. I need to start, you know, hiring coaches and mentors and people that like, you're at a level that I want to get to and start understanding like what it really takes to become the visionary and the leader and the business owner and the entrepreneur that I want to be. And stop chasing all these, you know, shiny objects and squirrels and things that I think are going to get me to the next level. And that's really when I kind of dialed it in and, and started to become a real business owner. I think that's great, man. And I, I feel like you probably, that story answered what my next question was, because I think a lot of people, they tap out. And I was wondering how you did get the confidence to jump back in after having some trouble. But it sounds like doing all those things that you did, like becoming a short expert, doing a BPO, you probably had a good pulse on how the market was turning at that point to be able to say, okay, like now I got this, I'm watching other people do it. I'm going to jump back in and get my own stuff going again. Yeah. You know, I'm a life learner, right? Like I think a lot of people I'm constantly evolving and changing and learning, but sometimes we get trapped. Like for a long time, I was just on the, I was on the hamster wheel, even though I was learning and trying to get better. Um, I never really like, you know, took that next level step or trying to break through that glass ceiling. Right. I just kept staying on that hamster wheel and running faster. Right. Until I kind of stepped off and, and kind of saw the forest through the trees, you know, what was ahead of me and started working on myself. And so, you know, I started breaking down, like, what are the, what are the things that I have to work on? And, and, and so, since that's evolved and, and, and we've started to build the culture and the teams and the, and the people and, and, and the right companies the right way um, in this last five to 10 years, um, I really boiled it down to like these five important things that I think every entrepreneur needs, every person needs. And, and that's really what we teach on the coaching side is helping people see through that and, and find their true potential. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I have some time set aside that I want to go over those five pieces of victory. Mm -hmm. I think that those are awesome for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you touched on a couple of things so far, which I know I think is one of the, the five key things, but the mindset there, I think is so important. One of the things you said when we first started this out was, you know, you said, hey, man, I just... I made mistakes on my way to success. I failed my way to success. And I think that that's an important thing is, is when you look at the scorecard on a daily basis, sometimes it doesn't feel like you're making progress or making moves, but then you look back. And I think going to things like masterminds and surrounding yourself with high performance coaches and seeing what they're doing really opens your eyes to where you stand on that because you could think you're killing it. And then you walk into the room and very quickly you go from thinking like you're the, you're the top dog to realizing that you are the, at the absolute bottom and it, there is a level of like that beating you up, but there's also a level of inspiration that you have to go, okay, well, now I see how much better I could be doing. And I feel like that's a double-edged sword because sometimes then you don't appreciate what you've done because you go, hey, look how good, guys, I flipped 20 properties this year. And then you look around and you go, guys, 
guys and they're all like, dude, we did 20 this week. And you're like, oh man, I suck, you know? So as far as you riding both sides of that, did that help you really take what you were doing as a one man show? And how has like masterminds and coaching help you see the difference between being somebody who flips houses and does all the work themselves versus transitioning to somebody who runs it like a business? So Nick, I love the, I love the, the, the word that you use is mindset, right? Because the first thing that you have to work on is your mindset, right? And so there's, there, there's definitely a double-edged sword in the mastermind game when it comes to mindset, right? Because most people think that they're not good enough. They're not fast enough. They're not educated enough. They're not capable. It's not for me. Success isn't for me. It's for somebody else, right? Like the people who are out there really creating this success, they're more educated. They went to a better school. Like they, there's something different about them. Like they were brought up different. And the interesting thing is most people stay locked in that limiting belief because they let the past affect them, right? Their past experiences, they had a failure, they had a challenge, they, they had a tough gro- you know, uh, life growing up. And so that's the story that they attach to themselves for a long time, right? When you get into these mastermind groups, well, I'm, I'm sure you know, because you've been in a lot of them, but what happens is you start to look around the room and you're like, that dude? made a million bucks last year? Like how the hell did that happen? And so unlocking these limiting beliefs and saying to yourself, like, I mean, dude, my, one of my first mentors was a farm farm kid that grew up in the middle of Ohio with nothing. And like his parents made, you know, eight bucks an hour his entire life, like, like literally still, you know, and so, and he's worth millions and millions of dollars. And, he, and, and, you know, so you see that it's really just a mindset when you decide that you're worth it. But so what happens is, though, Nick, with the mindset thing is a lot of us, when we have these great ideas and these these great movements and these great like, I'm going to I'm going to take this thing to the next level. Um, I don't know where you have your best ideas. And for me, it's like always in the shower or when I'm driving. <laughs> right. I got these like great like aha moments. Like I'm going to go rule the world. Right. What's the first thing that happens when you have that great idea, though? Right. Immediately, you get that little voice in the back of your head. It's like, nah, man, that's going to cost too much. Or who's going to help you do that? Or your wife's going to think you're freaking crazy or your team's not going to want to support you on this. Like, you know, that last thing didn't work out too well. Right. And so what we start to do is we start to rationalize why it is that we shouldn't do something. Right. And if you break that word down into two parts, we're telling ourselves rational lies about why we're not capable of creating this new opportunity. Right. So we literally, our our brain is wired to talk us out of great ideas. It's, it's wired to keep us safe because 10,000 years ago, you were running from a saber-toothed tiger, mm. right? So now you have an idea to go start a new business and your subconscious is like, you might die. Guess what? You're not going to die, right? It's not going to happen, right? But your subconscious is trying to convince you of that, right? So you have to understand, um, you know, what, what, are your, what are your limiting beliefs? What drives you, right? How is your psychology wired, right? What, you know, what, what do you think is possible or what do you think is not possible? And then condition your mind to think that way so it can help you create bigger ideas and bigger ideals. I think that's awesome. It's always an interesting point to me because people are very quick to give advice that have no success. And then people will listen to them versus somebody like, oh, I'm not going to listen to that guy. It's like the guy makes more in a week than most people do in a year. So, oh, no, if it was that good, everybody would be doing it. It was like everybody can. you know. And I think just like you said, the double-edged sword, the same way that I've talked to some guys and I go, man, like um, who I just uh, Casey Ryan was just telling me somebody in Collective Genius is making like, it was, it was insane, the number of stuff that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I literally met a guy that was dressed like a bouncer. You know, he had a, a hat on, jean shorts, a, a wallet chain. And then I saw him get up and get an award for making a million dollars that year. And it was that was literally yeah. the thing that I went, 
that's a millionaire. Like I thought they were yeah. bigger and, and like, there's something you can, I can actually touch this guy. He's real. Like we literally just had a drink together. And then you yeah. start to realize that they're just people like you and everybody has 24 hours in the day. It's just a matter of how you're using them and how you're being productive. And, you know, I think on that side of it, there are a lot. Of, and I, I find myself doing this more lately than I ever have, which, which really is disappointing to me personally, but I find myself being very busy lately and not being as productive as I usually am. And, and I don't know how I kind of got caught up in that, but being a military guy, being a systems guy, what are some tips you have for people that find themselves like burning a candle at both ends, like you were saying all day. And then you get this great idea when you go running and then you go home and you go, I, I've got too much crap to do already. How am I ever going to find time to implement that? Obviously there's a problem because guys like you are doing so much in the same amount of time. Well, there's a value structure around that, right? If you if you don't find something valuable, you're not going to do it, right? And so the bottom line is this, like people ask, when do I find time to do things? Well, you find time, you make time, you create the time. So we have two things we have, we call high gain activities and high, high income activities, Nick, right? So like if you have a, uh, a home life situation, right? If it's something that's personally bettering you, maybe um, spending time with your wife or spending time with your kids, becoming a better father or a better wife, right? that's a high gain activity, right? A high income activity, well, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? When I'm at work, I'm creating more income, right? That's my job. When I'm there, it's to create income. It's to create output. It's to make money, right? Otherwise, why am I at work, right? And, 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 and a lot of people don't conceptualize this. They find that, and I did this by, for years, by the way. Remember, I would go home, I would be at my office and I would text my wife, I'm gonna be late today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do stuff. <laughs> go home at nine o'clock at night and I would go to myself, holy shit, I didn't do anything for the last six hours. Why did, why did I miss dinner with my kids, right? And so we tell ourselves these lies a lot of times about how we're being productive. And then when you ask people, well, why do you do it? Well, I do it for my kids. Really? Why, what are you doing for your kids? Because you're not, you're not spending time with them. You're not being present. You're not home for dinner. And guess what? Your kids want you. They don't want your money, right? They don't want the buildings you own. They don't want your fast car or your, your nice whatever, golf collection, golf club collection. They want you. They want to be around you. They want connection. They want love. They want guidance, right? They want, they want to learn about you. And so when we're not connecting with our children, but we're saying that our kids are the reason we do it, we're just lying to ourselves. We're full of shit, right? So what is the reality about what we're trying to create, right? If you want it bad enough, you'll make time to do it. You'll do it. You'll execute and I know you talk a lot about reverse engineering and stuff, but on, on a daily basis, how are you how are you setting up your day? Do you use time blocking? Are you using a book? Are you using a whiteboard? Like, how do you plan yourself out to make sure? Because like you said, six hours go by sometimes and you're like, what did I get done? Whereas like lately for me, if, if I map out like every hour, this is what I'm going to do. It, it starts to make you realize that like you're wasting 15 minutes here, 20 minutes here. And it just adds up to nothing. But when for me, if I write it down and I see it in that morning, it just helps me. But I know that that's different for everybody. Yeah, so my, my students uh, use, use two things. This one's called three to thrive, right? The three to thrive goes like this. I want three things I'm grateful for every day and three priorities I have to tackle. So people who use it to do, I don't use a to-do list at all, Nick. Like a lot of people use to-do list, that's fine. Take your to-do list and be brutally honest with yourself about what are the three most productive or high income activities that you have to get done. And here's what you're gonna find out if you're honest with yourself. The three things that need to be done are the things that have been on your to-do list for three and a half weeks. Right? You have a list of 25 things. You keep leaving the one thing off your list over and over and over again. It stays on your list over and over and over again. Why? Because it's the difficult thing. 
It's the uncomfortable thing. It's the call that you don't want to make because you're too nervous to make it. It's that it's that person you need to hire, but you're afraid to make the investment or it's just too expensive, right? It's the it's the whatever. It's the buying the new tool. It's the investing in your company. It's the doing the marketing thing. It's the it's the difficult ass thing that you know is going to make you better, but you're afraid to do for some reason, right? That needs to be done first. So when I say three to thrive, you do those three things first before anything else. Right? I mean, anything else. Don't check your email. Don't make the phone call to your friend. Don't, don't schedule your golf outing tomorrow. Don't do anything else until those three things get done. And here's what happens. When you do those, you've heard about you know, the, 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 the big domino, right? Or you know, uh, the one thing like uh, uh, Gary Keller talks about. When you do those three things, most of the time, all the other stuff's ineffective. It's, not, it's nonsense, right? That's the busy work. And so what happens is, I always say the people... You, we all have these people in our life, Nick, that are always constantly putting out fires and they're proud of it. They're like, oh man, it's so busy today. Oh my God. Oh, it was awesome. I put out all these fires. Those people are secret arsonists, right? They're behind the building with a match and they're lighting that shit on fire. And at the end of the day, they get to pat themselves on the back and they're like, oh, so busy today, man. Oh, so busy. Yeah, but you didn't do shit. <laughs> you didn't get any closer to your goal, right? You didn't move the needle one millimeter closer to your goal. All you did was busy shit. You checked your email 47 times. Didn't create any opportunity for anybody, right? You didn't help yourself. You didn't help your kids. You didn't help your family. You didn't help your clients. You didn't help your team, right? You didn't lead anybody, but you stayed busy, right? And that's the biggest challenge I see uh, with a lot of entrepreneurs. They give themselves credit for, for not producing anything. I love that, man. I, I think that that's so crucial. You know, one of my mentors always told me, if you have more than three priorities in a day, you have no priorities in a day because you're not going to get any of them done. So I, no. I, I think that's yeah. great. You know, and, and again, those, those big things, I think everybody can justify that. And most of the time when you take those big things out, you realize it's like, what was I so worried about? That took me 10 minutes. I thought it was going to take me three days. You know, you're so right about that. You're just that thing that's been on your to-do list for two weeks sometimes takes you less than a half hour. Most of the time it takes you less. If you're present and focused, you would be amazed at what you can do in 30 minutes. Stop checking your text. Stop checking your emails. Don't answer your phone and do what you got to do. That's yeah. the problem. I love that. Now, when you're working with coaches, you know, I don't know if you have this problem as much. You know, I've gotten a lot better at it. I hired, I hired somebody to actually take over my social media because I find even when I'm doing productive things for the business on social media, you still get just sucked into black holes of stuff that's really not effective. And then, it, you know, it starts to affect you a little bit. How are you managing that as far as, um, you know, because your students, obviously, they have to take in content and building a business these days, a lot of the times for, for raising money or building a brand, you have to be posting or doing things on social media. Are you teaching any sort of fine line or, or tools or sort of structure for like, hey, this is a healthy amount of time to use it and how to use it. And this is now you're just wasting time on social media when you should really be making calls or doing something more productive. Yeah, so absolutely. A lot of the things you're touching on, Nick, are number like the number four piece here is to control the clock, right? So, like, how does the how do the top sports teams in the planet win? How does Tom Brady win, right? He knows exactly how much time he has left, right? If he's down by 21 points in the third quarter, he doesn't sit on the bench and cry in his hands and say the game's over. Screw this, I'm not going any further, right? No, he knows if I run the ball, I drain the clock. If I throw a deep pass, maybe we'll score and then maybe we'll turn the ball over and get it back again, right? He knows exactly how much time's on the clock. Well, guess what, Nick? You and I have the exact same strategy. We have the rule of 168. You have 168 hours in each week. So does Elon Musk. So does Oprah Winfrey. So does every 
massive person you've ever looked up to in your life you ever want to emulate. They have the same exact amount of time. So how does how does Bezos get get to fly a rocket to space, right? How does Elon design? You know, he's drilling underneath the earth to create like underground <laughs> transportation, for God's sake. How do these people create these opportunities? And then you say to me, well, I can't figure out how to carve out two hours out of my week to spend time with my kids, right? It's bullshit. We're selling ourselves a bag of lies. The reality of it is you have to take showers. You have to sleep at night. You have to find time to eat. You have to find time to pay your bills, right? But we're not doing the high gain, the high income activities. High gain is taking care of your body. It's eating right. It's sweating every day. It's going to the gym. It's pay attention to your meditation, your mindset, right? It's paying attention to the words and the language that you're using. It's staying in a positive mindset. It's creating opportunity inside of your, inside of your family, inside of your world, inside of the people that you meet, right? It's, it's creating value out there. And it's also creating opportunity within businesses that you're meeting, right? So how are we spending time? And I call that gold time, right? When I'm locked in, I'm creating gold time. Right? This meeting right now is gold time because people are going to listen to it and hopefully they're going to find value out of it. And maybe one day, six months, nine months, 12 months from now, they're going to reach out to me. They're going to say, Joe, I want to work with you. Right? That's gold time because it's, it's time well spent to put a message out there. Right? So the time that I have, I want to be present. I want to be focused. I want to be ready for action. And that happens all day. Right? You're going to see if you looked at my calendar right now, I am blocked from literally, I went to the gym at 6 a.m. this morning. And I have until literally 9 p.m. tonight. I got jujitsu again. It's at uh, that's whatever the hell time it is 7:30, right? So like family dinner, right? Go to the gym. Like I mean, every 15 minutes from from the time I woke up to the time I go to bed tonight is blocked. So you have to be regimented about your 100, 168 hours. Otherwise, you're gonna lose them, and you ain't getting them back. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced. Any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. We're going to have to do a major course correction now because you just said jujitsu. So that's going to open up this game's can of oh, no. I'm, a, I'm a baby, dude. I just started like three months ago. So I get my, I get my ass kicked by most people. Where, where, I go, where I go there uh, I go to a place in Haddonfield, New Jersey that actually just opened. He's a, uh, he's a Gracie uh, trained guy and uh, really good dude. Awesome, man. Have you done any other martial arts prior to that? Long time ago, I did Taekwondo when I was like 14. What is it like? So this is very interesting. One of my buddies, Jared, who's really like one of, one of the most successful real estate guys I know. And he's been like talking to me, oh man, I'd love to go to jujitsu. And I heard it all the time. So I bought him a bunch of privates and he yeah. went in once. And they made him train with like the girl who runs the front desk and she kicked his ass and he, yeah. he, he never went back and he might've gone back once since then, but I've been trying to like map out like, why is that? And I think it's, it tells a lot about a person when you can be a black belt in business, real estate life, you know, you used to be an alpha, you used to be in the boss, you used to be the top dog. And then you go and you try something new 
and you're all the way down back at the bottom. And now you have to make a choice and go like, man, I worked so hard to get back to the top of that mountain. And now I see that that's something else in my life that I might have to put all that time and effort into. And it's not always that easy after you've already achieved some success. So I always have a lot of respect for guys like yourself and him who are so good at one thing and then still take the time to go humble themselves and relearn all that. Because I think those new lessons and those new relationships and facing those new challenges for yourself every day will help light years in business and and in just daily obstacles that pop up. Have you found anything from training jujitsu, even in the small amount of time you have so far that has helped you personally and professionally? It's massive, dude. It's massive. First of all, I mean, I'm always, I'm trying to constantly find things that make me uncomfortable. There is nothing more uncomfortable than being, I'm not going to say how old I am because I look better than I am. No, but there's <laughs> nothing more uncomfortable at my age than, than being choked out 10 times in, in 45 minutes. Like there, there's just nothing more uncomfortable than that. Like there's no, there's no other way to say it. Like, like I, I, you know, I haven't wrestled in 25 years. So it's like when you get on the mat and, and somebody like, you know, tries to break your arm and you have to tap out or someone tries to put you in a headlock and you tap it. Like there's nothing more uncomfortable than that. Like I, I, I don't, other than, you know, getting punched in the face, I can't imagine any more uncomfortable than that. So like for me, um, I want to find ways to get into uncomfortable situations, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, getting, getting, you know, I'm always trying to find that, that next, you know, level of discomfort because discomfort is growth, right? And, and like, if you're comfortable, you're not going anywhere. You're not evolving. It's such a great analogy for life. I I always see the guys that are that are successful, my, my fighter friends, my, my jiu-jitsu buddies, they do really well when they come over into the real estate world because they're used to just getting their ass kicked every day and coming back the next day. And I love when you're, you know, you're put in a bad position and it's very easy to panic and tap out, but you learn to stay calm and go, all right, this sucks, but like, let yeah. me find every exhaustible option for a way to get out of this and then get back on top. And, you know, I, I, there was like an analogy I heard one time that they were, one of my jiu-jitsu classes might've been Matt Sarah, but they, they had two guys kind of rolling and it was like, let's see which one gets up first. And then one of them did. And then he went around the room and was like, why did that guy get like, get, get on top? Yeah. And everybody had all these different answers about why. And he goes, the end of the day, he wanted to get up more than the guy in the bottom did. And it was like, that's really what yeah. it is, you know? And, and I, I think that that's a, an amazing thing, you know, just a, about life in general, just that constant humbling. And, and I've been doing jujitsu for 15 or 16 years and, and every day I still learn more things. And in, you just being around that element, the circles, the sense of community, I think really helps in business and in life. So I think it's going to be a, a huge thing for you as you start to get deeper into that. I've seen nothing but positive things and positive relationships come out of it. Um, I'm going to find out where you are and I'm going to, I'm going to get you a jiu-jitsu, I'm going to get you a jiu-jitsu private with somebody I know out there that I think will be a, a great connection for you, but I love that, man. I'm excited for you to go on that journey. I think it's amazing. I think martial arts help a lot. So transitioning back into real estate, I know obviously I'm reading your whole scaling book right now, but you were doing up to a hundred single family residential flips and wholesales a year. How the hell did you manage that? It was a nightmare. Um, and, and, um, I think I talk about it in the book too, is, uh, you know, we actually transitioned into all wholesale at one point because, uh, which we still do. Um, but the single, fam- single family flip and flip game is very transactional. Right. And, and especially in the market that we were in, um, it, it wasn't like, you know, we're not in a planned unit development community, right? It wasn't like I could just flip $150,000 houses and just do it over and over and over again. You know, we, we, we went from a hundred thousand to 1.5 million. Uh, we did new construction. We did, we did single family flips. We did, um, small apartment buildings for you, you know, quadplexes and stuff like that. So we were just all over the map. And, you know, for that reason, it was super difficult. You know, I had 50 employees. I had God knows how many subcontractors. We had massive, massive payrolls on Friday. 
Um, and it just got to be really, really consuming. You know, it got to be really complicated. Um, as much as we tried to put systems in place to make it manageable, um, everything was constantly changing and it was hard to manage and, you know, um, hard to evolve and hard to, and hard to create opportunities. So, you know, I guess it's going back. I keep telling the story. It gets longer and longer. I, I usually said <laughs> three or four years ago. Maybe it's five years ago now. Um, me and my partner sat there and said, okay, what do you want to do next year? We had just got done flipping 80 houses. And I was like, you want to do 100? You want to do 120? And he was like, I don't want to do 80. I'm like I'm, I'm done. Like I, you know, this is like it's toast. Like I don't, I don't. Like it just, we didn't have the passion to keep wanting to expand and grow, and it wasn't scalable. And so that's where we started to look. Okay, what's other? What other industries are out there? Like we're we're, we're big boys now. Like we could take on like something bigger, something more scalable. Uh, and at the friend at the time, I had a lot of friends that were doing apartment buildings. You know, apartment syndication deals. Um, good buddy of mine, Tim Bratz. I have a lot of people know his name. Um, you know, he he had massive scalability overnight. Um, not overnight. It took him five years, but he he grew. To, he's at four thousand units now, um, and he's a great educator and he's a great dude. Um, and so I saw his success, and I was like, you know, I love that, but like it's so. Um, I feel like it's getting saturated. Everybody's talking about apartments. Everybody's looking at apartments. How can we do something like that and not? Um, you know, be a direct competitor to the apartment market. And uh, I think luckily to our, to our uh, you know, timing and, and, and where we started to look, we got into self-storage um, based on a bunch of different conversations, some great introductions, some people I started talking to. Um, we started doing the self-storage development route. And man, we, we could not have gotten luckier. Not only is it a great diversified community and industry, which has been almost like, I hate to use the term recession-proof, but recession-resistant for like 45 years. Um, if you look back across the timeline, even all the ups and downs through all the market cycles, it just stays steady growth. Um, and it's one of those things that, you know, through COVID, you know, you had no, no eviction protocol. You had no um, financial implication almost at all because of the diversification of the tenants that are inside. You know, you got, you got blue collar, you got white collar, you got mom and pop store and their junk in there. You got all these different people. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, if you're paying 75 bucks a month to store your stuff, you know, it, it's, 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 it's hard pressed for someone to go in there and say, I'm going to find somewhere else to go and move down the street because you raised my rent by 10 bucks a month. Right. So it's easy to raise, um, you know, to raise the rents, increase the value of properties. There's just so many good reasons. And then the value of what it costs to construct versus an apartment building, right? We're, you know, sub 60, 65 bucks a foot to build hundred thousand square foot facilities. And so, um, there's just so many reasons why I love it, but it's a scalable model, right? So now I can have a much more effective team, um, 20 or less employees building, you know, sites all over the country and, and doing a hundred times the revenue that we used to with 50 employees. And so, um, and maybe a hundred's an exaggeration, but one day. And so like, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot more enjoyable. The culture is so much better. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's just a more rewarding experience. I love that, man. I have a bunch of questions on self-storage too. And to shout yeah. out to Tim Bratz and Mark Evans, both of them, we had a, you get a lot of love on this podcast. We've both been on. <laughs> yeah. As far as self-storage goes, I know you said you have a, a team involved. What, what does the team look like in this asset versus uh, the single family? Like who do you have under you? Yeah. So we have it broken up into two teams, as we mentioned earlier, Cornell Capital is our funding partners. Um, and those guys obviously do the raise. It's mostly, it's not, it's not mostly, it's all accredited investors. Um, so that goes through our New York side. Um, they help to underwrite the deals, um, get the deals approved, and then obviously raise the money for the um, syndication. And then the legacy developers team is all acquisitions, uh, due diligence, underwriting, design, 
um, and then ultimately development. And I look at our team as a, strictly a developer, right? We're out there building deals, uh, creating value adds, or reconstructing sites. So one of the things that we do well is uh, take uh, dark and big box, like uh, your old Sears, your old Kmarts, um, or like we're doing one right now up in uh, Ohio, which is a, a 55,000 square foot, um, AT&T's using it right now, um, but they're gonna move out as a tenant and we're gonna convert that into a, a self-storage. And so um, we're, we're a pure developer in that we're gonna develop the site, we're gonna create the opportunity, and then we, turn, we pass it off to a uh, third-party manager. So we're working with um, some of the top management companies in, in the country. A lot of people don't realize this, but like when you drive by an extra space or a CubeSmart, um, they only own 50 to 60% of their sites. They're mostly managing for other people like you and I, right? So um, we'll hire someone like that to manage the site after we're done. That's awesome, man. And so with the development side of this, did you have any issues with uh, the COVID and getting the approval approval process for that? Because we just finished the development. I always look because you can literally see it from here. But um, it, it got delayed for almost like almost twelve to eighteen months because yep. just the villages shut down, and we were like right about to get the approval for the annexation, like the final plat. And then when they came back, they came back with Zoom meetings first, and we were literally the first. Zoom meeting that they've ever done. So we were like, nobody will be on. Half the people can't even figure out how to use it. And it was the opposite. You had every single like resident that had any problem or any set of gripe on there. And it, it was a friggin' nightmare. We, we got through it, but did yep. you have project delays or any weird stuff that came up? Were you doing Zoom meetings and stuff to get the approvals for some of these development deals? A hundred percent. We were nine months behind on a project that actually we're scraping dirt on right now. And we were delayed two or three months on a final, final, final engineering approval, which <laughs> was approved three times. The engineer had already approved it three times. And the the hearing meeting that had to, we had to go in front of the board in order to be approved was the first Zoom meeting that came back, right? Well, somebody got the Zoom link and came on just to be a jack jerk off, just started screaming the N word. Oh, like, randomly, randomly. Like, like they got, like they got the, just, just to jam up the meeting. So they had to like the guys like on the on the call like hit the end button like like trying to close the Zoom meeting out. So like oh. we're, we're on there for the meeting like trying to get approval and all of a sudden it just screen goes blank. We're like, what the heck just happened? And then we get an email from the township. We're like, sorry about that, guys. Uh, we we have to figure out this Zoom thing. We could, the <laughs> meetings canceled. So we lost a whole another month because of that. So uh -huh. yeah, we we we're about nine months behind uh, breaking ground on on uh, a deal here in New Jersey, which. Um, you know, we'll make up time on because we got an amazing construction crew in place to get it done. But yeah, yeah, we've gotten we've gotten screwed every way possible because of COVID, um, which to me, I mean, we can get this is totally off topic. But, I, you know, I think personally, I think the governments, the states, I think a lot of people are just using it as a bullshit excuse for not doing their job. Um, you know, these guys could have done everything virtually. They're, you know, they're engineers. They could they could be reviewing plans from their house. Everything's on PDF nowadays. You sit in front of a computer and review the damn plans. So, I mean, for whatever reason, you know, private companies don't get a chance to slow down during COVID. We've been working 10 times as fast for the last 18 months for some reason, but everyone else has to stop what they're doing. Courthouses are closed and, you know, paperwork can't move from a, from a government level. Dude, it just took us like five weeks to get like the, the final plat. There was like six people that needed to sign it. And every day I was like, Okay, is it done there? No, not yet. Yeah. He's been looking. I'm like, oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's pulling teeth, but it is satisfying when you get done. It's like anything else, you know what I mean? The, the progress, but if you have the patience to move through it. And uh, as far as team members, I know you mentioned the engineer, I was blown away after going through my first development, how key a good civil engineer is. I mean, there was so many times we were in those, those meetings and they'd ask me questions and I was like, uh, he, he's, he's going to answer. And like, guy came in with like his halo and was like, I got this. And I just kind of sat there and was like, yeah, but I mean, it made literally all the difference in the world. Bless you. Having a good civil engineer on the team who could work with the city and talk to them and explain the plans and stuff. Cause they're speaking a different language. If you don't know it. The two key people that I learned from a development perspective, especially if you're getting uh, any type of approval or variance, um, your civil engineers, number one, and um, a planner. Um, a lot of people don't know what a planner is. I, I learned this two years ago, but a planner is a person who basically comes in and tells the story about what you're doing. And so we've had some amazing planners come in and literally like, it's almost like a performance, like they stand in front <laughs> of the zoning board and they give this whole, like, this is all the features and benefits of this new development for the town. And like, um, I'll, I'll never forget the, the first one we had in the Jersey site, she got done. And I looked at the engineer and the attorney uh, we had two engineers and an attorney and uh, and our architect were all standing there. I was like, what the heck do we bring you guys here for? Like, like she she stole the show. Uh, she was unbelievable. But like having a good planner on there to explain everything to uh, the townships, they're incredible as well. Yeah, it's key, man. It makes all the difference in the world. So when you're doing some of these, um, these, these development deals, you're doing your self-storage and stuff. How long does a due diligence period look like it? And what is it as far as like funds that need to be put up? Because, you know, some people have those guys on the team, but sometimes, like you said, getting the plans drawn up and then getting them revised and then getting them revised again. I mean, it adds up even just having like the attorney run the stuff around and negotiate with some of the things, you know, I'm getting 10, $15,000 bills and it's still not done. So I see people that'll go, oh, I, I drive around, there's some empty lots here. I think I'm just going to buy it and then build something on it. And I'm like, how much money do you have? None. I'm like, you probably, you know, I'm like a hundred grand into this and it's still not even like a necessarily like a green light. So I'm always interested of like, when you're doing these, how often, or how do you risk or, or hedge the risk of going through the process of due diligence, spending the money, and then getting to the point of like, it's not a deal we have to back out, you know, cause I know like in multifamily sometimes with the surveys and like the wetland studies and all that stuff, it gets pricey. And then you find out that the deal doesn't work and it sucks, you know? So how do you, how do you manage that? It's huge. I'm doing a turtle study right now in Florida, <laughs> turtle removal study. No, but here's the thing though. I don't, I, and I, I'm glad you asked this question because I think most people have no concept uh, of what the, the investment time and money is up front when it comes to doing a development deal like this. But for our standpoint, um, to, I think there's a, there's a multitude of, of answers to this question. Number one is we thoroughly vet a deal before we go under contract. So we are, we are putting probably... 50 projects through their paces before we submit or finalize an LOI and a contract. Like in other words, we're underwriting 50 deals before we have a contract. Uh, maybe it's more like 30 to 40, but we're underwriting a lot of deals before we go to contract. Um, once we're under contract, most of our um, due diligence phases, if it's not an approved site, it's, it's contingent upon approval. So that, that, can, that can sway dependent on township, that can be you know, how difficult it is to get approval, all that kind of good stuff. So at that, at that level, your, your minimum 90 days, 60 to 90 days, it could be, could be six to nine months, depending on how hard it is to get zoning approval. But to answer your second part of your question, money-wise, yeah, we could be 80 to $100,000 in one of these sites. Um, I'm, I, I'm of the belief, and this is going to be biased, obviously, but I don't think there's anyone on the, on the, in the country that's designing and creating the package. We call it a power package. 
where it's, you know, it's, it's survey, it's design, it's phase one, it's 3D renderings. It's literally you can walk through our job site virtually and like see the, 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 where the lockers are all lined up. I mean, we have essentially a fully designed site soup to nuts before we even like apply, apply for, you know, uh, entitlements or variants or whatever approvals or process are needed. Um, so before I go to closing, I know exactly what we're building. And I need that because I, I'm not, I can't syndicate a deal and ask somebody to invest money in a deal if I can't show them what the deal looks like, right? So I'm not just taking like a you know a survey and drawing boxes on it and saying this is <laughs> going to be a self story. I'm literally showing people 3D renderings of this is the building, this is the colors, this is the scheme, this is you know this is the square footage, this is how many box, this is the projected NOI, and this is the study we used the feasibility study. So you know feasibility study alone could be ten to fifteen thousand dollars depending on who you're using. Um, you know, the design work, the, the engineering work, the, you know, the turtle research. I mean, all, all this stuff adds up big time, uh, not to mention your internal payroll for who's doing the underwriting, the due diligence, right? So, um, yeah, there's a lot of risk that goes into these deals, but we won't take that risk unless we're, you know, fairly confident. I would say 75% sure that we're going to buy that deal. I love that. You know, for, for us, it was, uh, it was ducks. We had a lot of concern about what was going to happen yeah. to ducks, you know? So yeah. it's a lot of those things. It's interesting too. Like you have people that pop up and they're like, well, you know, if you barrel some of this down, where are the deer is going to go? And then like, you look into like, okay, let's look at some of the things we can do. And then you find out that the, the city actually looks at them as a nuisance. So they don't even want to save them. And it's like, well, not like, how does any of this have to do with anything that I, this is not me, you know? So yeah. it's funny yeah. to get wrapped up in, but you know, yeah. on that side of it, what would you say are like, three benefits that attract you to self-storage and then like counter question to that would be what are three mistakes that you think people don't look at or know to look out for when they're getting into a self-storage deal? So I would say benefit, you mean benefits of using uh, or having self-storage versus other uses in the area? Oh, just uh, of investing in self-storage versus. Um, Well, first of all, I I think that the diverse usage. So like if, if I have um, I always I always say like this, if I have 800 tenants in a 100,000 square foot facility, right? Um, and I already, I already kind of touched on this earlier, but let's say your, your rent is 75 bucks a month and I want to raise it by 10%, right? It's going to 82 bucks a month, right? You're not moving out. You're not going to be like, oh, I got my bill. It's 82 bucks a month. Screw this guy. I'm going down the street to public storage. You're not driving your truck there emptying out a 10 by 10 locker or a five by 10, whatever um, for, for seven bucks, right? But let's say you have an apartment that's $2,000 a month and I send you a rent increase to $2,200 a month. And that can effectively change your cost of living. If you're on a fixed income, like that's a big difference. You might be like, hey, you know what, man? I might be able to go find a place down the street for $1,850, right? Like maybe, maybe I could save a couple bucks. Right? I don't really need this balcony that I don't, I don't sit out on. You know, yeah. like, like, like you start to think, right? It gets you to think. Seven bucks a month isn't getting you to think, okay? Now, let's say I have 800 units and I do that across 800 units once a year. I just increased my NOI by 10%. There's no apartment building in the country increasing their NOI by 10%, unless you've done some massive value add and you put you know, kitchens and baths or whatever, right? So you can do that on every facility, every year, every time, sometimes twice, right? Depending on how you manage it, depending on what the competition's like in the area. So we have that unique ability to actually increase our value um, you know, very at, at a good clip, depending on our competition, depending on what's in the area, depending on new stuff coming in. Um, a lot of times being a new developer, we're coming in and we are the best, you know, nicest, uh, with the best resources, climate control, you know, easy access automations, whatever it is, we're, we're generally going to be, um, the best new thing in the area because we're going into areas where the competition's older and beat up and, you know, doesn't look as nice. So, um, 
you know, I think from that perspective, uh, you know, I like that about it. Um, you know, I, I love the industry, again, from the uh, diversification of tenancy. You know, I have, uh, in, in good times and bad, I still have, you know, attorneys putting their files on storage. I have contractors putting their excess materials in there. I hear stories all the time about, um, I'll share a quick story. I had an investor call me one time. And he says, I'll invest in you. I'll tell you why. And I said, okay, why? He goes, my kids, when they were in college, um, their, their, uh, their mom died while they were in college. And then my, my ex-wife, my ex-wife died while they were in college. And I said to them, um, I'll put your mom's stuff in storage for five years. I'll pay for it for five years. And he had, he had twin boys. So he says, um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. He goes, that was 12 years ago. He goes, at year five, I sent them both the bill and they've been splitting it for seven years. He goes, I'm telling you right now, I don't think they've ever been in that storage locker. There's probably three inches of dust in that stuff, right? So, and this is how people store stuff. Some people actively store stuff and go in and use it like, like the contractor who needs his materials. Some people put their stuff in there and forget about it for decades, right? So there's a diversification of, of tenancy that, that, you know, people, some people use it, some people don't, um, but they store it. The other thing is that uh, when some people, you know, you pay your rent, you know, you owe me 80 bucks a month, you don't pay your rent, uh, you know, the day you're late, you can't get in, right? You want to come access your stuff, swipe your credit card, pay your, pay your bill, now you can come in, right? So you can't do this with a, with a, with a rental property. You can't do this with, a, a, you know, an apartment, right? I can't just lock you out because you didn't pay your rent. I have to spend three to six months trying to figure out a way to evict you. Uh, and in COVID, I have friends that are, not, not even friends, I have rental properties that I have $30,000 due on a, on a $1,800, $1,900 a month rental property, right? Because they haven't paid in 18 months. Not because they can't pay, because they didn't lose their job. They're perfectly fine. In fact, they're probably making more than they've ever made in their life. But the day that the governor announced you don't have to pay your rent, guess what? They stopped, right? Mm-hmm. So that adds up. Right. And so, you know, this stuff doesn't affect the storage business. It doesn't affect our industry and knock on wood. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a really good uh, diverse industry for those reasons. And it's also, it's, it's nowhere near saturated. There's just a ton of opportunity to still build. Ever wanted to play the drums or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. I love that, man. That, that's exciting stuff for sure. You've been great, man. I know you got a, a bunch of other calls, so I don't want to take up all your time, but talk a little bit about before um, we, we wrap up some of the final questions. What are you doing as far as how can people work with you? What are you doing for your coaching? I know you said you've adjusted your model a little bit. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I mean, for years, I was doing the, uh, the mastermind group coaching model um, where, you know, we would do a once a week phone call, we would do the you know, quarterly meetups and all that kind of stuff. And I just found that what happened was the people who were getting 
the most out of it would be the people who were vocal and they would speak up and they would talk the most on the calls. Well, what happens is the people who don't talk, the people who are kind of hiding on the calls, the people who are not saying that much are the ones that need the most, most help, right? We, people hide in groups, people tend to hide in groups. And so what would happen is people would, you know, come into the group and then they would disappear a year later and you'd say, what happened? You know, you didn't even talk that much. I, you know, I, I felt like everything was okay. Well, you know, I wasn't, this was going on, that was going on, this was going on. So I felt this is enough of this. This group coaching thing is not working. I'm not getting the results that I, that I want for everyone. And so I went to this one-on-one -on -one model and it has been absolutely game-changing, right? I start to effectively talk to people once a week, one-on-one, -on -one. you can't hide, the accountability is there right? The ability for growth is there. And so what I teach is specifically catered to each person and it's life and business, right? Because, uh, you know, Nick, you, you know, as well as I do, you can't be great at business if you're not great at life, right? You can't be um, effectively out there creating massive income if you're not healthy, if you're not mentally clear, if you're not focused on what it is that you want to achieve, if you're not happy, right? And so we work a lot on who we are so that we can become what we want to become. And so that's where the, that's where the one-on-one -on -one coaching comes from. And in a lot of it, I don't teach theory. Like I just don't teach theory. I teach what I know from what has helped make me successful. And the byproduct is that my students get to see what unlock, what their true potential is in life. And, uh, and that, that to me is so much more fulfilling than doing the group coaching thing. Um, you know, it's a lot more time. It's a lot more investment for me to, to, to work one-on-one -on -one with people, but the results are just so much better than they were in the group atmosphere. So um, what we do is uh, anyone who, who um, uh, for your listeners that, that, uh, that want, we, we do a, a free um, consultation uh, discovery call. Uh, they can go to legacybuilder.coach and we'll spend 15 minutes just talking to them about their business. What are their goals, short-term, long-term, and can we help them? Because not everybody's a fit, right? If, if, they're, if they're not a fit, we're straight up with them. Like, hey, it's, this, this is not going to make sense. Um, and that's totally fine. And if they are a fit and we can help them get to the level they want to get to, and we'll set up a follow-up call from that point and we'll go from there. That's awesome. And this is, um, is it for all kinds of businesses or is it just, is it for entrepreneurs? Is it for just real estate? Yeah. It's really any business owner. Um, I coach doctors, attorneys, insurance uh, sales guys. I coach uh, sales executives, of course, real estate investors. Um, yeah, all walks of life, male, female, it doesn't even matter. I have, I have people in Canada, people in America, it doesn't really matter where you're at. So um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, anybody with a business owner, uh, any business owners that are looking to achieve more and, and really want to untap their true potential and, and, and figure out where they can get to, right? What's the next level for them? Awesome, man. I love that. And for anybody listening, if you check the show notes, I will put the links for that as well as all the social notes for all the ways to connect with you and Dana and your groups as well. Um, a few final questions before I let you go. One is, sure. what is one of your favorite quotes? <laughs> uh, so I have so many of these, but uh, one of my mindset quotes that I love to use over and over again is uh, Tony Robbins has this quote. He says, uh, the past cannot control you unless you choose to live there. Right. I remind myself that of all the time. So when I'm trying to unlock true potential, get to that next level, most of the things that are limiting beliefs, most of the things that hold us back are past beliefs. It's shit that happened to us before. Right. Because if you think about it, you know, we focus on gratitude and we focus on vision. That's what keeps us present and keeps us thinking a bigger picture. Right. Any time that we're that we feel stuck or we feel held back, it's a past belief. Right. So unlock that past and you'll start to see more of that creation in the future. I love that. That's awesome. What is one of your favorite books? Oh, I have so many of them, but actually a really, really good book I'm reading right now is Winning. I don't know if you heard it. Oh, before. dude, Tim Grover. Tim Grover. 
dude, this guy's a stud. I actually didn't like his last book that much, believe it or not. And somebody convinced me to read this one. This one's so much better. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know, but, uh, you know, I love, I love that book. I'm reading that one right now. Um, I'm constantly reading, man. I'm reading probably two. I mean, I'm usually reading three or four books at a time. Nice. Yeah. Awesome, man. Knowing what you know now about life and business, what advice would you give a younger you? You know, I answer this question a lot and I always tell people like, I couldn't tell the younger me anything because that, that dude was a fucking blockhead and he wouldn't listen <laughs> anyway. Um, you know, that, and, and, and I really, I believe it's the truth. And I'll tell you why, Nick, because um, I believe that we all learn stuff and we take and adapt to those things in the time that we are, that we are given, right? Like it all happens for a reason, right? So like, I, I wouldn't change anything, right? Like, I think that it happened when it happened because of that. And that's why I'm here. That's fair. I like that. I agree with that. I was a knucklehead when I was younger. I probably would have told myself to screw off and then appreciated the advice decades later. So that definitely makes sense. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So uh, last question is, with the people you're working on, I find a lot that people want to get into real estate. I think I talked to Dana about this a little bit. They go, hey, I'm in, but I got to talk to my wife or I got to talk to my husband. And then they find out that they don't have the support of them. Do you have any advice for somebody who's looking to chase their dreams or jump into a business that does not have the support of their family and friends? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's hard to, it's, <laughs> this, this is a tough question for a lot of reasons, right? So I always tell people, first of all, you have to start thinking with your heart and your gut, not your mind, right? You have to start shifting from here and start going down here, right? Because we all know the choices. We all know the decisions before we make them, believe it or not, right? Like if you have a hard time making a choice, flip a coin. And before that coin lands, you've already known the decision, right? Because you knew it all along. Your subconscious has already worked it out for you. So if you know a decision and you know it's the right decision, then you have to decide, are you ready to step up? Right. And, you know, whether you have the support of somebody or not, that's that's a whole different freaking ball of wax. Right. That that gets into do you have a good relationship? Does the person you're with trust you? Right. Like that's that's just a completely different, longer conversation that I can't (laughs) answer in in like 30 seconds. Um, But if that person trusts you, if they believe in you, if they support you, if they truly want to see you succeed and you have a gut instinct to do something, well, then you got to do it especially if you're the leader, if you're that person that's driving the relationship, right? Um, there's no really good answer for that. If they didn't believe you all along and that's a problem, that's a way, way deeper, that gets into the whole, that gets into the five love languages, that gets into creating relate uh, respect within the relationship, that gets into communication. I mean, dude, there's five coaching lessons inside of that question. <laughs> Fair enough, man. And so uh, as far as investing, coaching, uh, partnering, connecting, talk all things and ways to connect with you on the business side and maybe social media side. How do they yeah. connect with Joe? Yeah. And the coaching piece, obviously it's a legacybuilder.coach. Um, people can follow me on, on uh, Facebook uh, at joeevangelisting.com is usually my handle. Um, and then also um, I, I do a, uh, I do a free call every Monday morning. I do, uh, they go to joeevangelisting.com forward slash jumpstart. Um, I do a free call every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It usually lasts 10 to 15 minutes. And we talk about a lot of these things, right? We talk about inspirational stuff. We talk about uh, it's always value-add stuff that they can take into their week uh, just to get people thinking and get them creating value inside their life and their atmosphere. That's awesome, man. I'm going to start jumping on those. That, that's excellent yeah. news. And again, anybody listening, all the show notes will be in there. Joe Evangelisti, this has been awesome, man. You're a total stud. I look forward to uh, sharing a beer and a jiu-jitsu mat with you in the near future. <laughs> Any final thoughts before I let you go? No, man, it was a great show. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, man. This is great. Joe Evangelista, ladies and gentlemen.